There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Alex Kirkland, producer Al, uh, with Sid's for this week's pod. Kitcher couldn't be with us, unfortunately, today. Hello, Sid. How are you? I'm all right, thank you, Al. How are you? Uh, you had a very eventful week last week, which involved travelling to Bilbao and Seville, um, breaking your phone, uh, subsequently recovering your phone, not going to Oviedo. Um, are you expecting a bit more sort of peace and calm and, and tranquility this week? I hope so. Well, this week should be calm until the weekend. Yeah, there's, I'm going to build. I'm going to Barcelona on Thursday. I don't know if I might be travelling. I'm. I'm in the weird position where I'm waiting on the conclusion to negotiations over a handful of different interviews. So it might be that thinking that I was doing nothing might suddenly end up being travelling all over the place. How are those negotiations going? Are they proceeding sort of well, They're smoothly? proceeding okay, but they're proceeding without clarity. So what worries me is aforementioned interviews will all end up being on the same day. Yeah. And then, and then I really will be in trouble. Really need some clarity, don't you? That's what you need. Before we get, um, get going and talk about Spain and Segunda and everything else, just a reminder of all the delicious content over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Patrons get a Q&A pod and a bonus pod every single week during the season. Plus, last week, uh, Phil and I uh, recorded a brand new episode of Rincon Cultural because Sid was literally, it was impossible to contact him because, as I say, he was without a phone. I, I was literally walking around Bilbao, desperately looking for somewhere to be o- that would be open. It was a bank holiday. That's a Rincon Cultural. Well, it would have been a great contribution to Rincon yeah. Cultural if only you'd been um, contactable. I did actually find a place that was open eventually, having gone what felt like everywhere. And he said, yeah, but I haven't got the piece. You have to come back tomorrow. I will oh. not be here tomorrow, my friend. Late, mate. But yeah, you get all that. You get my paper reviews every now and then. You get access to the TSFP Discord. Join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Anyway, Sid, um, Spain are going to the Euros. Uh, they qualified for yes. Euro 2024 uh, with a 1-0 win over Norway in Oslo yesterday. That win took Spain to 15 points. It also sent Scotland to the Euros. Made a lot of Scots uh, very, very happy indeed. Um, Spain have qualified for every major tournament since 1992, Sid. And I guess that's a, yeah. that's a fact that should be celebrated. Yeah. And, and there's been a few of these over the years where they've played the playoffs. There's been a few where they've had one or two doubts about getting through. But largely, even in those years when they played the playoffs, you know, you, you very rarely felt like Spain weren't going to get there. Even this year when they had that terrible start, losing in Scotland at the very start of this whole campaign... It, it didn't really feel like very likely they wouldn't wouldn't get there, and 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 I don't really want this to sound like I'm, if you like, denying them the 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 credit they deserve for having got there. But you look at the structure of the group, and you always thought there's no way they're not going to, because even if they finish finish third, their Nations League um, results would have put them in a strong position to to then qualify. Um, 
But I was actually, you know what? Genuinely, in what I think most people will look back on last night and say it wasn't a great game, I thought that was a really good Spain performance. In, in that kind of, let's use the cliche, shall we? That big away game performance. But it wasn't mm. the away game performance in terms of going there and defending very deep and, and, and you know, putting loads of men behind the ball. Although there was a degree of that. It was a performance, I thought, of control. And I thought of a t- against a team that was supposed to be a good one, uh, Norway. I thought they made look, Norway look really quite average. I thought they kept hold of the ball. They didn't create a huge amount of chances, it's true, but they created sufficient chances to win it and actually to have won it before they finally did. Um, and I thought, all in all, it was a performance that made you think, OK, this... There's something here with Spain. Now, we know that with them, and this shouldn't surprise us, but we've, we've spent the last, what would you say, the last maybe three years sort of not being sure if Spain were good or not? Yeah, it was interesting, actually. Um, for last week's bonus pods, uh, it was uh, Kitro and I, but we had a nice um, voice note contribution from, from you. And you were sounding a little bit more positive about Spain than, than Kitro and I were feeling after that, okay, after that that's game last, right. last week. Um, lots of aspects to, to pick up on from, from this win. You mentioned that control. Uh, you mentioned um, not too many chances created. But crucially, as you say, not many chances at all conceded. Really, and the fact you're up against Erling Haaland, you're up against Martin Erdegaard, two of the best best players in, in the Premier League, two of the best players right now in their positions in, in the world, and to keep them as quiet as they did in terms of sort of a collective defensive performance, that was, was that maybe the most impressive aspect of, of Spain, do yeah. you think? Yeah, and I think as well, if you look at that control or that, that, that defensive um, solidity, I think you can see two different types. Um, and I think one of them is if you like, the way we traditionally look at Spain as a team that defends well, which is through possession, through the ball, through denying the other team the chance to see the passes, to have the ball long enough to make those passes and so on. And that was, if you like, the kind of the traditional Spanish approach to this. But I thought we also saw the other traditional defensive approach, the the, the defensive approach that is, is, if you like, immediately about defending. And in particular, we saw it with the... I'm going to... Yeah, let's put this in these terms... The ongoing fights between Robin Lenormand and and, um, and Haaland. And not just him, but obviously Laporte as well. But I think it was more Lenormand. And I think what we saw there was, if you like, I suppose, and it's a bit cliche to say this, but old-fashioned defending, traditional defending. Now, it's possible. And I'd, I'd love to know what people who are kind of more tactically minded than me think about this. It's possible that that kind of defending is made a little easier when you have a very obvious target of your defensive approach, if you sort of mean. There's this really big guy who looks a bit like a robot, right? Go and kick him and push him and hold on to him and don't let him go anywhere. And so the target is clear and you're not being made to double think and you're not being made to wonder about your positioning and so on. Now, the reason why I say I'd like to know what more tactically minded people than me think about that is because I suspect that's not entirely true. Because I actually think one of the things that Harden does quite well is that capacity to disappear from the game and then reappear at the right point, despite being a very obvious big blonde lump, you know. Um, and so, so I, I, thought that was, I thought it was pretty impressive from the two central defenders. I thought it was pretty impressive from Spain's ability to keep the ball away from them. And, and that, I think, was demonstrated not so much by the absence of Harlan, but possibly by the absence of, of Erdegaard who didn't really get the chance to play very, the game. Very, very little. Yeah. yeah, very little for a player who's normally very heavily involved, who's normally making a huge amount happen. And I think that tells you something about the quality of Spain's midfield. I think it tells you something about the awareness that this was, a, that, that this was an important game. Possibly also the awareness that a draw would be okay. So there wasn't, I think, that, that tug on them to kind of go and attack. You know, that tug on them that says you absolutely must go and get the goal here, which isn't to say they didn't look for it, but I don't think they looked for it with 
urgency or desperation, which possibly helped actually for it to, to, to turn up. But I thought all in all it was really good. And I, I think that central defensive partnership is a really interesting one. Now, obviously, look, it's interesting for the backstory, the fact that we're talking about two Frenchmen at the heart of the defence. But I think it's interesting in footballing terms as well, because we've watched Spain over the last three, maybe four years, certainly in the post-PK Ramos era, not being sure what their defensive partnership would be, not being sure who those two players are, rotating through some of them. We got Laporte and we felt all the way through right up to the last World Cup, okay, Laporte, but who plays with him? And how well does it work? And how does this all fit together? Mm. And Robin Lonoland has come in and has worked really, really well with him. And it fits really well. And it feels like we now know what the back two is. Mm. Now, we've got maybe one or two doubts about the fullbacks because Danny Carvajal gets injured a lot. And when he's not there, then you go, well, is it Navas or is it somebody else on the other side? I think it would normally be, I would say it's, it's Balde or Gaia. But of course, you've now got Fran Garcia as well. Um, and I think, but I think that central defensive partnership is really interesting. And there's a bit of me that quite likes this. And to join those two concepts that we've been talking about, we must have been talking about Lenormand for, what, at least 18 months as this kind of low-key, brilliant defender who yeah. doesn't stand out, who doesn't look like it, you should be talking about him, who nobody really was talking about, although I think they now are starting to, partly because of the process of him becoming part of the Spanish team and playing very well, uh, but also I think because of the ongoing success of, of Real Sociedad. And I think you've got there a really good and pretty hard defender as well. I think, I think you've, got a, you've got a tough guy there as well as, as, well as a really sensible defensive um, centre-back. I mean, Harland only got loose. Um, got loose. I mean, that makes yeah. him sound sort of like the, the T Rex in Jurassic Park, Which is sort of kind breaking of what he through is, the fences. <laughs> yeah. um, but only once. There was that one, that one time that he got in, and it was sort of panic stations, and Laporte eventually got the got the ball. There away. was kind of three of them surrounding him by the penalty yeah. spot, weren't they? They were sort of not sure. Okay. He kind of got through a passageway that didn't really exist, and they were all sort of turning back on themselves, trying mm. to get back into position, but they did eventually do so. In terms of the defence, I mean, it helps having the best um, holding midfielder in the world in front of you, doesn't it, in Rodri? Yeah, uh, and I think he is, He is, I suppose, and I'm, I really am now murdering this metaphor and, and, and kind of making as much as I possibly can out of the concept. He is, I suppose, the embodiment of that combination of the two things, of the control with the ball, but also the ability to do the old-fashioned things, you know, the, the stand in front of the defence, the not allow the, the, the gaps to open up, to go and close those gaps when they do. He's got a physical capacity, I think, Rodri, which we don't always notice because he's, he doesn't really fly into tackles as such, but he has a physical presence that I think means that, and, and obviously more than anything else, a positional capacity that means he doesn't necessarily need to. Um, and, and I think he's a... I mean, this is stating the bleeding obvious and everybody knows it. I think he's a very, very good player indeed. And I think it's taken a little while for people in Spain to fully appreciate that. I, to be honest with you, think it took Man City to win the Champions League and him to score the winning goal in the final for, yeah. it, to pos- for it to really properly come to the surface here in Spain. Uh, a word about Gavi, the goal scorer. Um, he's 19. He's already played 25 times for Spain and scored five goals, which is a pretty good a pretty good return. But of course, it's not just about uh, the goals with him. I, I, he's just so important for this for Spain already. Do you remember the game? I, I think it was against Switzerland at the Romareda. And I remember on the podcast talking about it because it struck me so clearly. It was one of those things you go, I've got it. Um, that he leads the press all mm. the time, all the time. And I don't think... I don't know, actually. And this is something at some stage I'm going to have to ask Luis de la Fuente. And I, and I remember this was with Luis Enrique, by the way, when this first happened. And I thought this was the most striking thing about it. And Luis Enrique at the time was 
trying really hard to remind people that Gavi was a good footballer, not just a feisty little so-and-so. He, was, he wasn't just that little shitbag going around kicking people and getting in people's faces. But, but that day, the thing that really struck me was the leading of the press. And this is why I said, I don't know if that was a tactical leading of the press. In other words, right, Gavi does this and we fall in behind. Or, or, you know, Gavi, this is a position I want you to be in. And the rest of us maybe hold slightly more static positions. And you're the one that, that kind of, they use that lovely word in Spanish, saltar, to, to basically to leap, to leap to the pressure. In other words, you're in a line and who's the person that saltar? Who's the person that, that kind of comes out of that line and goes and puts the pressure on the opponent or goes and chases someone down a corner so they can't get out? And in that game, it was Gavi. But one of the things that was so interesting, and as I say, I don't know if it was tactical or if it was just about his natural inclination, you know, the impetus, if you like, of, of going and getting people and running people down and being hyper-aggressive. And it was really noticeable that day, and I think it continues to be, that he goes and others kind of fall into his slipstream, if you see what I mean. That he's, he's, he's not just the one that saltars, he's the, I'm really mixing languages there, he's not the one that saltars, he's, just, he's also, if you like, the one that blows the whistle for everyone else to go. It's like he's saying right now, mm. and we all follow him, and we all go with him. And obviously he could do that on his own in part, but it's not as effective without the others. And I think, I think his role in that, in, in seeing the momentary either loss of control or loss of position or, or weakness, and going, right, I'm on it. And then the others go with him. And, and, I think he's, and I think that's intelligence as well as nuttiness. And we, we know he's a bit of a nutter and he has been for, well, for as long as he's been playing. And I remember doing Gavi... For so every year the Guardian have a thing we call the next generation. We've, we've just done this mm. year's, and we identify uh, a whole series of players across Europe. And normally covering Spain, it's down to me to identify three or maybe four players um, who are going to be really good in the future. And and it's risky because you're picking up players who are 16, I think. So this year's was the 2006 age group. So yeah, 16, or depending on which when in the year they were born, right? And we did Gabby. Uh, Gavi was one of the ones we chose. This will have been, what, two years ago, maybe three now, I'm not sure. And I'm not going to claim, by the way, that I know all these players. What I do in these situations is I go and talk to scouts that I know who cover Spanish football, people, and then once I've got kind of a short list, to be honest, I'm then sometimes conditioned by the people I can gather sufficient information on. But, you know, I'll get it down to a shortlist of five or six. This year, I actually had a shortlist of only three and went with those three. The year with Gavi, I think I might have had five or six. Anyway, and I remember talking to coaches that have worked with him and there being this very clear sense with all of them, this guy is different. He is your typical La Masia product on some levels. Technically, he's good with the ball. He, he makes things happen. He passes well. He sees the game well. But what really stands him out is basically he's a, he's a little so-and-so. You know, he, he was hyper aggressive and that could be problematic. Even then, that could be problematic, but it's part of what makes him so good. And I think we're seeing that. I think, I think he's a really genuinely brilliant player. And I think partly we, we fall into the trap of only seeing those other elements and not seeing the football in quality as well, which is definitely there. Let's talk about uh, the two goals, the one that wasn't given and the one that was. Let's start with the one that wasn't given. Um, Danny Carver house ball over the top. Defender loops it over the goalkeeper. It's going in. Alvaro Morata thinks, I'll have a bit of this, and gets the finishing touch. It's given as, as offside. If he hadn't touched it, it wouldn't have been offside. Um, Kitro <laughs> described this uh, to us as the most Alvaro Morata moment of all time. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your take on it? <laughs> I, I, I think he's waiting to see if he has to touch it and in the end decides he does. 
But I think he probably didn't need he to, didn't to be honest. To. I don't but think, I mean, yeah, you exactly. can't really blame him for that because every forward, if you, it's like a free goal, isn't it? You sort of think, well, yeah. it turns out it's not a free goal it li- because it wasn't it a goal. Quite literally, but... give it, taking the goal off. Now, um, this, by the way, goes back to the... And I was a little bit confused by this last night and actually had this long discussion as I often do in these situations with um, Iturralde who used to be a referee who I, I know very well and whenever I'm a bit baffled by a decision I say what's you know explain this to me he's very good at explaining it there were a couple of things where I said to him but that doesn't make sense to me because of this this and this but anyway cut that out because you don't need to know about, about my confusion but essentially off the back of that famous goal that Mbappe scored against Spain in the mm. Nations League final there was a decision made that the defender doesn't play the forward onside by having the last touch if that last touch is not deliberate effectively. You know, if he's being in a forced position, it's he's not reaching kind of for the ball. He's not, yeah. he's not, exactly. He's not trying to play the pass or try, play the ball. He's just trying to get to it. Um, now, my difficulty with this was that he's not being forced by Murata, who's in an offside position. So Murata's not interfering if you sort of mean. Mm. So Morata is only offside in the, in the previous phase of the play, not in the subscript phase. I think but the, the Luis rule... de la Fuente afterwards said something like it was actually Ansu Fati who was offside, not Morata or something like that. In the I'm not sure that's conference. true, you know. Um, but, yeah. but anyway, anyway, the point is it was ruled out and, and he was offside and, um, and he probably didn't need to touch the ball. Yeah. Um, the goal that was given... I mean, it looked like there were about three different offsides in that one move. Now, they took a long time to look at it um, mm. Four or five minutes in the end. Yeah. So I, I presume that they looked at each one. Of, I think it was Gavi initially and then Morata twice, wasn't it? And they decided yeah. in each of those cases that either it wasn't offside and maybe just the perspective made it look like it was. Or in the case of Morata at the end, he wasn't interfering, I guess, ultimately when the ball went yeah. past him. from Gavi Yeah, because the ball him. goes past him and he tries to pull out the way. But mm. I think if you look at it in terms of the eye line of the goalkeeper, it yeah. doesn't impact upon yeah. the goalkeeper in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um, I must admit, I thought it would be ruled out. I'll, I'm also going to, you know, you, I'm going to play an old record here and, and, and complain about VAR because, again, let me stress this as I always do. For me, the issue with VAR isn't the justice or not. It's the, it's the interference with the game itself. Mm. And I just don't think we can be talking about mistakes as being clear and obvious. And admittedly, offside is slightly different because it's objective. Whether it's clear or obvious yeah. or not is yeah. a different thing. Yeah. It's objective. And I must admit, I think we sometimes moan about offsides more than we need to because actually that is one where it is right. This isn't about, you know, disvirtuing, if that's a real word in English, the, the nature of the game. But I do think if you've got a decision that's taking five minutes to look at, there's a bit yeah. of me that thinks, just, just, just forget it. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Ansu Fati there. I mean, there isn't much else to mention about his no. performance because he did in the first half absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the issue with Ansu Fati is is that fear that we all have, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but but um, we're not the only ones. There are people within the game who who work or have worked with him who fear this as well. That fear that it's over. And that's a horrible thing to say, mm. and I really hope it's not the case. But there is something there that there is something has gone. Um, and I don't know if it's so much physical as mental. And certainly, uh, the, you know, the, the, the conversation I've had with someone who, who's been quite close to this talked about this as a mental process, not really a physical one. And there is a little bit of me that thinks that the best thing that can happen to Ansu Fati is at some point someone whacks him really bloody hard. And it doesn't do him any damage. And that that kind of breaks from 
what is an apparent, and, and again, this is a really difficult thing to, 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 to discuss properly because you don't know what's going on in his mind. And let's use the amateur psychologist thing that we always makes us feel uncomfortable. But there is something there about, and this, by the way, is not coming from me. Again, let me stress this. It's coming from someone who's worked with him. That sense that he's not prepared to do the things he once did. He hasn't got that kind of freedom that he once has. He hasn't got that willingness to not so much put his foot in because that makes it sound all very kind of passion and up and at him. It's not about that as such, but it's sort of about that. You know, that willingness to say, I'm going to go for that ball. I'm going to get that ball. I'm going to go at that defender. If you noticed last night, one of the things that was really striking for me is when he received possession, he would occasionally run with the ball, but he tended to run back towards his own goal away from the attentions of the defender. It rather than what feels like it's sort of down a like, yeah, it's not the exactly. way that you want him to be going. Kind of so he's running to, a, to avoid the defender, if you sort of mean, to try and keep the move alive. Whereas once, I think he would have turned and run at the defender yeah. and, risked, yeah. and risked the move dying, but taken him. Or taken him on, at least. At least tried to. And he might, he might have uh, not always have succeeded. But I, I, I really worry about Ansu Fati. And this is why, and I think probably the truth is, we probably discussed this when he went to Brighton. Um, and this is what I'm hoping, is that Brighton provides something that, that changes the mindset, even if not on the surface, you know, even if he's not even aware that it's changed the mindset, that somehow something happens that shifts, uh, I guess, the dynamic of his play. Because at the moment, he just isn't Ansu Fati. Now, maybe this was inevitable when a player gets older. Maybe it's inevitable when a player gets injured. Maybe it's inevitable when opponents get, get wind of what he does. Maybe it's inevitable when there's a slight lack of the speed that he once has and that ability, the acceleration. And obviously, I don't know if that's true and I'd love to see the measurements of his 0-30 or 0-20 or however they measure it and the measurement of his top speed and the measurement of his ability to repeat that top speed. I'd love to see the, the wattage output because players, you know, these measurements do exist, but we're not party to them. But the suspicion is that he doesn't have that touch of electricity that he once had. And, and as I say, the suspicion from people who've worked with him is that that's as much in the mind as it is in the legs. And the, the, the reality that we're seeing on the pitch is he just, at the moment at least, isn't the player he was. I just really, really hope he can be that player again. Uh, before we move on, um, Luis de la Fuente is a man who we haven't always been impressed by or convinced mm. by, um, not least his decision-making about when to clap and when not to clap. Well, yes. <laughs> um, which leads a lot to be desired. He deserves some credit, doesn't he, for the way that the team have bounced back from the, the loss to, to Scotland to be where they are now? Yes. Yes, he does. Um, and you're right, he's not always enormously convincing when he speaks. But then he himself has said this, and we discussed this when that whole clapping thing happened. You could actually believe his argument then because you could see it. You know, the sort of, I was out of my depth and I didn't know what I was doing. And, and you can sort of see that in those public environments. But I guess yeah. we should be. Well, it's not I guess. a vibe that I love from my national team. Coach, no, it's I not. No, 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 it's not. I agree. But no, it's, it's, in, I, that, it's in, that, in that specific environment. I, I know what you're I, I, I agree with that. It's not. And, and I think it was Jonathan Liu made the point where he said, well, it's a good job you're not in a job. Because he says, well, like, I couldn't take the pressure. Well, it's yeah. a good job you're not in a job that's full of pressure yeah. then. And that is true. But I suppose, and maybe suppose is actually a weak word. Maybe I should be saying, no, absolutely. We should be judging him as a coach. Now, obviously, there are other elements to coaching and being a national figurehead and all of those kind of things. But the early signs are that, that, that it's stabilising and, and that, that Scotland performance was awful. His response to it, I thought, was awful in coaching terms as well at the time. Remember, he changed everyone and he didn't seem to know what to do. But he seems to have come across his team now 
and have a willingness to mix it up a little bit. Have a willingness to, to, to maybe provide some variety. But I think that got overplayed post-Luis Enrique because everyone said, oh, look, we, you know, we're going down the same old rabbit hole as ever. Let's, let's have variety. And I think they tried too hard to say, here's a manager who's pragmatic who will give variety. I still think we're fundamentally seeing Spain play the way Spain play, if you sort of mean. Mm. But I think that we're getting... I think we're getting a sense of a team taking shape. I think we're getting a sense that players in that team do follow him and do believe in him. So maybe his oratory capacities are better, you know, dressing room, dressing room looking inwards than dressing room looking outwards, if you sort of mean. I think he, I think, yeah, it's been all right. That said, look, they shouldn't have not gone out of this group. You know, this shouldn't have ever been an issue. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I suppose we, we have to wait and see in, 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 in more difficult scenarios. But they won the Nations League and they've now qualified mm. and they will, they will probably qualify as top of the group as well. Yeah, no, the real test will come next summer. Sid, before we go, uh, this is a good week to talk about the Segunda, isn't it? Because Real Oviedo beat Albacete by three goals to nil. You were supposed to be there, Sid. You were supposed to be there. You were not there. How gutted were you? Uh, Quite gutted. (laughs) (laughs) Admittedly, uh, uh, Phil Phil was very quick to tell me this and he was quite right. Um, That 3-0 is is slightly false in that Oviedo didn't play particularly well. in, until they were down, until they were against nine. Uh, but you'll minutes. take it. Yeah, I'll take it. And also, this is third, you know, three goals they scored. They didn't score three goals in the whole of last season in a single game. Um, I, I thought you were going to say in the whole of last season. It felt like that, to be honest, at yeah, times. Yeah, well, it really did, didn't it? This is a team that um, that that wasn't playing, and I'm not going to claim that they were suddenly 1970s Brazil um, this weekend, but they're a team now that are starting to... And Albacete, obviously, as I say, went down to 10 men and, and, and had difficulties and so on. But they're, they're a team that are starting to have an idea that they want the ball, that they want to try and make things happen. And, and, and I'm here for it. Hmm. Well, although you weren't here for it. On, although quite literally wasn't Friday. here for it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And actually, there is an argument there that says if they scored three goals and I wasn't there, yeah. should I actually Stay be away. saying, don't worry, I'm not here for it. I'm staying away Stay from away. this. Um, elsewhere in Segunda, Espanyol are top after beating Valladolid 2-0. Leganés are second. They beat Amora Bieta 6 0. Super Pepino's boys having quite a party down well. at Butaki. Yeah, you really yeah. should have. Um, after that, it's Tenerife, Zaragoza, Levante, and Abar in the playoff places. Uh, it's uh, Levante against uh, Racing Ferrol tonight. All right, we're going to leave did it there. You, did Don't... you see what Espanyol did, though? What? You said Espanyol are top. Espanyol absolutely are top. I salute you, Espanyol. You are bloody brilliant. Espanyol's players came onto the pitch this weekend, not with mascots in the traditional sense. They all came on the pitch with a dog from a local dog shelter to raise awareness of adopting now, dogs. Now, this is an issue I we love can get you, Espanyol. Yeah. I absolutely love you. That was brilliant. Excellent. Um, on that note, we'll leave it there. Uh, patrons, uh, you'll have a Q&A pod coming up tomorrow. As for the rest of you, we will be back next week. Speak to you very soon. Bye-bye for now. Cheerio. Cheerio.